0: If we can unlock team effectiveness, if we can find ways to help teams kind of grasp that, honestly, in the end, we can get more work done. We can get better work done, too, because in the end, people don't get work done. Teams get work done. So how do we make our teams more effective?
1: Welcome to Want to Work There, a podcast that explores what really makes a company a great place to work. I'm your host, Jill Falska. And together, we'll explore not only what goes into building a great company culture, but also exactly how to implement those best practices within your own workplace. If you're here, you believe that a better world of work is possible. And I can't wait to build it together. Let's go. Welcome back to the Want to Work There podcast. Today, I am sitting down with Mark Kruth, who is a modern work evangelist at Atlassian. Now, he's been there for about three years, and I'm excited to dig into some of the stuff that he's been working on there. But before he was at Atlassian, he actually spent a good portion of a decade in organizational change, agile coaching, and transformation with companies like Boeing, Nordstrom, and Ameritrade. So he has seen a lot. He's experienced a lot. He is an absolute delight, and I cannot wait to have this conversation with him. So Mark, welcome to the show. I am so glad you're here.
0: Jill, you are a delight. And thank you for having me here. I'm super excited to be here. Just get a chance to talk with your audience.
1: So Mark, okay. I met you through our dear mutual friend, Yevi, who we both adore. Mm-hmm. And she introduced us on LinkedIn. And I, of course, went into your profile and was digging around. And your title, Modern Work Evangelist, I have not heard this. This is a first. I would love to hear more about what that means for you and why that is the title.
0: Well, you know, the beautiful thing about LinkedIn is you could just put in with any title you want in there, which is great. now. <laughs> but actually, in Workday, it shows that for me in Atlassian as well. So it's kind of nice. cool what I, the role I got to do. And so for me, my last couple of years at Atlassian has been very much focused in on teamwork, enabling our customers with it, you know, thinking about how we scale our practices. And so over the last couple of months, we kind of said, "Hey, you know what? there's an opportunity to scale this beyond just our direct customers, but what about everybody else? Why don't we talk more about our practices, more about the way we team together?" And especially, you know, after the last couple of years, the way we team has changed dramatically. We all know that. It's just the reality of today. And so the idea is that this is the modern world. We're not living in the future. We're not talking about the future. We're working with the problems we have today. And so for me, I'm all about going out there and putting pragmatic, practical solutions in place to say, how do we solve an async problem? How do we solve this aspect where we've got team members around the world? How do we collaborate in real time? And so for me, we kind of said, you know what, let's send Mark out there to go talk about this with a lot of organizations, actually continue to work with both our internal teams and customers, but then go take those stories and tell the world about it. And so this idea of being a modern work evangelist kind of came around. Because, again, we want to talk about the modern-day problems we're dealing with. You know, Again, we thought we had an idea three or four years ago what the future would be like. And just like uh, fate does its thing, it just slapped us in the face and just kept moving on. And you know? I says, oh, that was silly. Why, why do you think it was going to be like that? So <laughs> let's deal with the problems we had today. That's what I say.
1: I love that. And it's one of the things we connected on right away when we chatted. Mm-hmm. Because you know, if you are a listener of this podcast, you know... Theory is great, but action is everything. And how do we take some of these bigger concepts and make them tangible so that a manager, an HR director, an individual contributor can walk into the office the next day after they listen to this and actually do something with the information in a really practical way?
0: That's so true.
1: Yeah. Sometimes the gap is big, I think, with stuff when we talk about work. And that's, I think, what you're saying too with the future pieces we can talk for days about what might be but what are we doing right now tomorrow
0: what are the problems we're all dealing with right now that could really use some tweaking you know? and and i think to your point that's one of the it's one of the unfortunate things you go to a lot of events you know you listen to a lot of podcasts and you get really inspired but it's like a chocolate bar it tastes really good but it's just full of empty calories like how do we make sure coming out of that you got some practical things so for your listeners here today I'm sure I'm going to be giving you a a bunch of different things that you can use to actually go out there and actually make your teamwork better. So just keep on kind of listening for those little nuggets along the way.
1: I love that you're saying that. And as you're saying that, I'm thinking, you know, jokingly, we are zero inspiration on this podcast. We are pure broccoli. It is just straight broccoli Uh, all the time. But no, it's a mix. So maybe it's chocolate dipped broccoli, that's not hey, a Maybe thing.
0: it's cheese-covered broccoli. I mean, that's delicious, if you ask me.
1: That. Okay. As someone who went to school in, in Wisconsin, I will accept the cheese-covered broccoli as the general metaphor for what we're doing <laughs> it's here got to be Wisconsin today.
0: cheddar, though, right? Nothing more.
1: Oh, absolutely. With a side of cheese curds. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So- oh, I'm hungry. <laughs> I know, right? So we're going to take a 10-minute break. <laughs> we're both going to go eat some food. We'll be right back. Yeah. So let's talk about what you came here to talk about which is this phrase, effective teaming. And I saw it on your LinkedIn Mm. profile and kind of went, that, that makes me curious because there are a lot of different ways, I think, to talk about how individuals work together within a workplace. But that specific phrase seemed intentional. And I would love to hear and have you sort of explain what does that mean?
0: Yeah. So effective teaming to me is this idea of how do we, <laughs> you know, I almost think of it as effortless teaming. It's this ability of like, as we work together, how do we work in an environment where, you know, there's low friction, we have alignment, we have each other's back. It's, it's one of those environments where like we really love working in, versus, you know, some of these times we work with a group, it is just that we're just a group. And that's why there's a difference between groups and teams. Groups are just people who work together. Teams are actually people who the total is actually greater than the sum of the individual parts there, as that old saying goes. And that's where, for me, when we think about team effectiveness, if we can unlock team effectiveness, if we can find ways to help teams kind of grasp that, honestly, in the end, we can get more work done. We can get better work done, too, because in the end, people don't get work done. Teams get work done. So how do we make our teams more effective? And so that's been a big focus for us here at Atlassian, for me, my entire career. And it's been kind of neat as we've, we continue to explore that even as an organization. We build a lot of great tools out there to inspire collaboration. But they don't necessarily, like you start using Confluence or you start using Trello and you're just immediately a better team. No, you know, you have to have practices in place. So you have to have a culture in place around it. So for us, we're going to say, all right, what are those things? We spent a lot of time over the last few years actually trying to do some research to figure out how do we make effective teams. So that's been something that's been really important to our organization the last couple of while.
1: I mean, you know I've got to ask, what did you learn? You did this research. What did you learn? I know. I was
0: kind of teeing that up just so I can be like, all right, Jill's going to come in and ask that question. I love it.
1: <laughs> Knocked it out of the park, guys. Knocked it out of the park. I know. Guys. Right.
0: Exactly. That's teamwork right there. You know, that's teamwork. So <laughs> one so of the things, you know, for us. Well, we've spent time actually looking at what makes effective teams. There's a couple big things that we found from our research. And just to give you some background, about two years ago, we started doing some research into just what we call the state of teams. So we've actually put out a report there. And one of the things for the listeners out there, we'll give you a link to this report so you can go check it out afterwards. But we essentially spent some time looking at people around the world that worked in teams. And we said, well, let's understand how you work together. What are the things that allow you to feel like you're moving above just the normal day-to-day, like where you're actually feeling like you're on a high-performance team? What are the things holding you back? And then looking at some of the trends, maybe some of the myths that are out there around teamwork. And so we've done this research the last couple of years, and it's cool to see some of the data points start coming out. Like we know right now some of the core elements that make effective teaming are things that would probably make a lot of sense, things like high levels of psychological safety, We feel comfortable talking about things in our organization, even when, you know, it might be something that might be controversial. We feel like we have that open ability to talk. We've also got a super collaborative culture. Organizations that find themselves with effective teams find themselves in a team that actually spends time working with each other versus siloed kind of activities on their own. Big things too, that you'd think that organizations that have a lot of flexibility build high-performing teams, and they do. But one of the big pieces here that helps kind of drive high-performance teaming is this idea of role clarity as well. I know what I'm, what I'm accountable for. If I know what puzzle piece I am in the greater picture, all of a sudden now I know how to team better. And then we also see things like culture of innovation. We see things like team task cohesion, this ability to how do we work together on work versus separate and then finally, I think one of the most important pieces for me is this idea of a shared purpose, a shared kind of set of goals. What are we striving for? And you know, I mentioned the puzzle piece thing. When we look at the puzzle, do we understand what the puzzle is? Do we know, oh, wow, I'm part of this greater piece? Or am I just on a puzzle? I don't know what it is, why I'm on there. That leads to poor teaming. So for us, having that shared purpose is huge. These are just a couple of the areas that we found in our research that so says these really drive this idea of effective teaming high-performing teaming.
1: And then let's look at the flip side of the things that you found that get in the way of effective teaming. And so you talked about the things that do enhance it, do make it work. But what are the things on the other side of the spectrum?
0: So it's really interesting because you're right. There are actually things that then take away that if you add these into the environment, they actually Pull you back from that high performance, effective teaming kind of culture. So, some of the big things that we're seeing out there is one big thing is poor alignment. Actually, looking at our data, fifty-six percent of teams that aren't we consider healthy teams, which are high performing, you know, effective teams, fifty-six percent of those teams are that way mostly because they have poor alignment. They don't know those goals. They don't have connection to the greater purpose. And so, for me, I think if an organization is trying to do something like. Being able to build and just be able to share back like, hey, this is why we're doing something. This is the importance, it's a huge element. Actually coming from the Agile community, that was one of the big things that we found You know, as we would work with teams, is you know, especially in software. Software, sometimes you're building a feature that goes into a product and you're like, why am I building this feature? Well, we get clarity in terms of the problem we're trying to solve. One, we can build a better feature. We're not just gonna build the spec, we're actually gonna build for purpose. And from that, we can actually then be able to better understand, you know, how we could actually solve for that user's needs down the road. So it helps us feeling motivated to actually actually jump into those problem spaces. So for us, I think one of the biggest distractors, again, is that idea of lack of alignment, you know, lack of connectedness to that greater purpose. We're also seeing a couple of things, which we actually put out a special page on this too, which was... little cheeky, but it was real impactful areas where we called the unusual suspects. And and this whole idea is from the unusual suspects. These are the things that we're seeing in the data that we didn't expect, but they're actually taking away from teaming. So things like we call it the bad apples. And one of the interesting things with the bad apples is that we found that 26% of the people that we've actually polled, they actually said that they work with someone who's kind of considered a bad apple, someone who is actively disengage someone who's kind of pulling away from you know that person pulling away from the culture because they don't want, want to be there and that is just like sabotage right within that effective teaming. so bad apples are, are a huge thing we're starting to see which is really unfortunate thinking that a quarter of our participants said that the other big thing that we're also seeing too and this is something we're all experiencing especially after a couple of years of always on remote kind of weird world we've been in this idea of burnout We've actually seen that teams that are actually spending more time, you know, finding themselves in a burnout kind of base situation because they're just always on. About 28% of the respondents that we surveyed are experiencing some form of burnout. And that actually pulls back on that team cohesion. All of a sudden, people start feeling like, I can't do this anymore. And it starts breaking away at that high performance, effective teaming culture. And what's really fascinating, the last one I'll share with you here, and I think this one was amazing because one of the things we hear about is that people don't leave bad companies they leave bad bosses but we actually found that in organizations about 28% of leaders were actually considering moving to a new job we called it the flight risks and so the fact that leaders are looking to jump we're looking to leaders for support we're looking for leaders to help kind of set the mood if a quarter of our leaders are thinking about jumping how is that going to set the right culture, the right kind of environment for effective teaming? So these are a couple of those areas that we kind of started digging into. and It's just really fascinating that, you know, everything from alignment to the flight risk to bad apples to just, you know, these ideas of how do we actually go through and fight things like burnout and inability to kind of come together. So for us, those are the big areas that we focused on.
1: What's interesting for me is that as I'm thinking about the through line, like, both the things that are positive and both the things that sort of take away from effective teaming, my mind always goes to who's responsible or I guess who's accountable for making things happen. And, you know, that manager or that leader is sort of where my brain goes. And so to hear you say that last one about, you know, leaders are the ones really potentially looking that are the potential flight risks, it's both, I wasn't expecting it. And at the same time, as soon as you said it, it was like, yep, because... It was like,
0: whoa. It's like it hits you, right? And you're like, wow.
1: I just... I don't believe that we are giving enough support to managers and to leaders. And I think that we are asking things of them that we don't explicitly spell out. So companies want managers to create effective teams, but what does that actually mean and how do you actually do it is a conversation that doesn't happen often enough, I don't think. And so it doesn't surprise me that leaders are looking for new things and leaders they're just like us. Everybody is going through their mm-hmm. own reckoning, whether that's personal, whether that's your value set and what you understand is important to you now. And maybe that's at a different company. So, yes, there's a lot of big picture things that go into it.
0: To, to kind of add on to what you just said, all those other things I talked about burnout, bad apples, all those sorts of things, alignment, those are also true for leaders too. Like they experience those same problems. Plus, then they are also setting the environment and the culture for their team. So, if I have a leader that doesn't understand why they're doing something, how am I expecting to have the team have that clarity too? And so you can see that trickle down effect. So I a hundred percent agree that I think it's in the end, it starts at leadership. It starts at how do we better support our leaders to be able to create those
1: environments, put their own masks on first so that they can then support their team.
0: Yeah. So Jill, I, I was telling you in the beginning of this, and I like that. I always like to throw the questions back at folks too. I talk with. And so I would love to know what, you know, as you've talked with folks, what have been some of the struggles that you've seen leaders have out there? Like, what have been the things that you think as you heard that stat, that aspect that you know, 28% of leaders are thinking about moving their job, and you were like, you know it makes sense. What have you heard that have kind of led you to say, yeah, that kind of makes sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that I've heard recently, just because I've been talking with a lot of people about management training, is there is no clear definition of what management means. So we have a really clear sense, sometimes, not always. And a lot of roles, we're given a job description and a pretty clear sense of what is expected of us in the role. And management or leadership, we won't even go down that road of the difference today. But it's one of those things that I think, has just been a term for so long that we don't really clarify for people. Here's what it means to be good at it. Here's what's expected of you. But then most importantly, here is the time to do that. So my biggest thing about managers and leaders, and I hear it over and over and over and over again from companies lately, is, yeah, that's the thing they do on top of their job. So We are expecting people to manage and to lead, which takes time and energy and empathy and all of these things that need space in their own right. And then we also give them a full-time job. So we're like, cool, you did really good at the full-time job. So now do the full-time job and also please manage these people. But we're not going to give you any extra time.
0: Yes, (laughs) expert doers. Hey, you know what? You're so good at this. We should have you lead people that they, that way. You can make yes, them good correct. at this too. And it's it's just this this false perception of what this idea of leadership. I've met so many expert doers who went that route, and this they Hate they it. were miserable as a leader, and they're honestly their teams <laughs> were miserable as leaders. I mean, we hear about that. People leave bad leaders; they leave those folks because they don't want to be there. They like solving problems, being the mix, but true leadership. I mean. What I used to work for, I was a leader in my last organization. And one of the things I truly cherished about that was this emphasis on your job is your people. Like that is your job. And this element of, you know what, if your people succeed and you're enabling them to succeed, that's how you're rated, that is how you're assessed. And building that into how we measure and how we assess our leaders was huge because all of a sudden, again, you get what you measure in the system. And so people are saying, hey, we're going to train you. we're going to you know incentivize you and and your whole goal is that your people are successful. well you're going to start building the right kind of behaviors and culture in that system.
1: I have not actually shared this outside of my voice memos yet because it's been something that I've been noodling on, but I would love your opinion on this as I've continued to talk with managers and leaders about how do we better support managers. The thing that keeps coming back to me is this ten percent rule that For every single individual that a person is managing, 10% of their time should be allocated to management. So if they're managing five people, 50% of their job should be management. And what does that mean? That means one-on-ones. That means check-ins. That means removing barriers. Mm -hmm. That means creating psychological safety, communicating, having conversations, all those things. I just think if we thought more critically and even just use it as like a, just a guideline... (laughs) I think it would create more space for managers to succeed and to be doing all these things that you're talking about, which I guess to circle all the way back to the original question is, who's responsible for effective teaming? Is it the manager? I guess, what are you seeing? What do you hear about that?
0: So I think that, honestly, that is still an area that even at Atlassian, we're kind of growing and adapting. And what we see with our customers, too— you know, for us, we're definitely looking as we've grown. You know, if you think about it, we've in the last three years, we've doubled in size. So we went from an environment where all of a sudden you have a lot of, you know, you had leaders that are out there, you had managers who had smaller teams because we were a smaller organization. And then all of a sudden we ballooned, you know, we're huge. And so some teams became much larger. And because of that, to your point, all of a sudden, you know, that time, that quality time between, Manager and, and employee started dwindling, and so we've actually made efforts to help kind of break ourselves back down again. A little bit, you know, starting to come up with not necessarily adding layers in our organization, but trying to flat you know spread out the good times a little bit. You know, be able to have people elevated into management leadership positions where they can spend some quality time with people versus twenty people to a person. Because I hundred percent agree with you that to be able to effectively do a role as like a true leader you need at least 10% of that time uh, you know to a person to do everything from one-on-ones which are the tip of an iceberg honestly at the end to all the work that you do behind the scenes to help enable growth help share feedback all that kind of stuff and so You know, I think a lot of organizations are still struggling with this, and they're especially struggling with it today because we've seen such rapid growth in many industries over the last couple of years, especially in technology. And so as the technologies has rapidly increased, teams have rapidly grown, we've had to try to solve for that. And honestly, because we have issues with, not even issues, I'll take that back, because we have the opportunity now, unlike we did back in the day, to be able to actually vote with our feet, be able to say, you know what? This organization, this leadership isn't for me. I can now, I'm not necessarily constrained to my geographic location anymore. I can go anywhere else. Because of that, we now have this ability or we we have this need for leaders to really focus in on that time of like, what does it mean to be a good leader? Because a lot of the times we don't spend that time. We just say, hey, you know what? I've got the work. I've got the people. I'll make it happen. Versus that intentionally saying, I've got to really focus on that. So I think for us, a lot of organizations are struggling there.
1: Being a great manager is hard. Like, really hard. I used to preach that it was every company's duty to provide management training for their entire team. But then I became a director of people and culture for a SaaS startup and realized just what kind of barriers were in the way. Design the training in-house... I could never find the time. Hire a third party to come and teach it? Sure, but then I'd need to re-engage them every time a new manager joined, and I just didn't have the budget for that kind of long-term engagement. In my head, I envisioned the startup version of management training, a self-led reusable program that consisted of audio lessons, thoughtful exercises, helpful templates, and an internal facilitation plan for cohort style learning. So I built it and it quickly became apparent that I wasn't the only person looking for a more cost-effective, scalable solution. If you also fall into that camp and want to learn more, you can visit wanttoworkthere.com backslash management training. That's wanttoworkthere.com backslash management training. All right, let's get back to the show. I did not mean for this to be a segue about management training, but I mean, this management training program that I built was me answering the question, what does it mean to be a good manager and how do we equip people with those skills so that they can actually succeed in the role? But I think one of the things that you touched on that I love in a whole different light is it's not only are we equipping these people? It's, is this the right role for them? And can we provide other paths to promotion and growth that aren't managing people? Because not everyone should be managing people. Not everybody enjoys it. You have to be a people person in order to
0: Exactly, be, exactly.
1: You know, it is what it is.
0: You, know, you bring up such a great thing there with that aspect of pathway, because it's you're right. You get to a certain role and all of a sudden- You hit the ceiling. The only thing you can do is be content that that's where you're going to go, that's where you're at, or you move somewhere to another company, which somebody in those kind of roles, we don't want them doing that. They've invested in the organization. They have a lot of capital in the organization in terms of knowledge. Like We want to keep them and develop them and help them grow, but we haven't given them a path.
1: Yeah, I am seeing it more and more often, which gives me hope that companies are starting Mm -hmm. to understand we have these top people. How do we keep them growing? How do we keep them engaged? How do we keep them happy? And say, hey, you don't have to manage people. If that's not the path for you, that's not the only path to leadership. So hope there and a tangent that I think was worth well worth taking. I agree. As we sort of detoured here. All right. Let's go back to effective teaming and Bring it down a level because like we talked about at the beginning, we always, both you and I are are the same kindred spirits in the sense we want to make it super practical for people. So I am hoping that we could maybe run some scenarios and think about some of the like practical actionable things are that someone could do if they're in those scenarios. That works for you?
0: I love that. Let's do that.
1: Okay, awesome. I am thinking... That Let's start with a team that has already been in existence for a while. So maybe you've Mm -hmm. been managing a team for six months to a year, and you're listening to this and you're like, you know what, I really need to spend more intentional time working on creating a more effective team. What are the things that you would say that manager should go focus on first?
0: So when I look at teams that have been around for a while and they're looking to actually figure out like, how do we move to the next level? It's actually going to be a lot of the same stuff that, honestly, I recommend teams who are just starting out because a lot of times we haven't done that stuff. And if we have, we've changed. The problems we work on change. And so for us, we've got to figure out, all right, maybe it's going back to the drawing board and restarting out. So there's a couple of things that I always love to do. And as simple as they are, they're incredibly powerful to help create that High performance team. So I, I usually recommend three different things that a team does. And these actually come out of our Lassing team playbook. We'll give links to everybody for these two. So if you're a manager out there and you're like, all right, I want to make my team high performing, the three things you need to do. Number one, actually run a working agreement with your team. And if you haven't done one of these before, it legitimately is like an hour-long activity. You sit down and you talk about the implicit things that everyone has on their mind? What are the things that we need to align on and agree on as a team? It could be things like, how do we give feedback to each other? It could be things like, how do we celebrate successes? It could even be little things to me like, you know, hey, as a team, we always wanna make sure maybe we're a hybrid team. We wanna make sure we're always in on Wednesdays together so we can have some bonding time. But it's basically making those things where we might say it in the hallways, we might think you might know about it, Again, I like to say it's make the implicit explicit. And so working agreements are really powerful in that sense. And so sit down with your team, actually run through that play uh, that we have out there, actually build that. If you don't want to use the play, I mean, legitimately just sit down, piece of paper or a Confluence page or what have you, and say, hey team, what are the things that we need to, you know, kind of align on? Like how do we work? What are the things? And have a brainstorm. Like I said, it's so simple, but it's so necessary. So we got working agreements, that's number one. So do a working agreement. Next one, as a manager, as a leader, you actually need to get to know your people. And so for me, actually understanding kind of what makes your people tick and helping them understand the same thing about each other goes a long way to helping kind of drive performance. So we actually have this idea called the user manual for ourselves. So at lastly, we have a play around this about building out your user manual. It's powerful because what it does is it causes you to think about like, what are the things you need to know about me? Like, you know, maybe I'm in a distributed world. Where do I live? What time zone am I in? What maybe motivates me? Things like that. But then it also gets the things that represent the people side, the personal side. What are your hobbies? What gets you up in the morning? What's your favorite food? Let's get to know each other. And so this is a really cool activity where you have everyone fill this out and then you just go around and share actually did with this this was a customer a few months ago and it was really cool because we went around and we did this and this has been a team that's been around for a like year plus they've been working together yeah. and we go around and i remember one of the individuals says you know on his free time his hobbies like i love to go play frisbee golf You know, that's one of my big things the manager is you do and he says i live right next to a frisbee golf course and i go frisbee golf all the time And it was like this connection all of a sudden. They made a human connection that, again, they've been working together for a year and they didn't know that. Now, all of a sudden, that bond is just a little bit tighter. And so for things like that, it's amazing how you can get those little things to kind of come out of the woodwork. So doing something like a user manual is a huge thing. And one pro tip I've got for you, you do one of these, let's say, you know, selfishly, I'm going to say you're a Confluence user out there or some sort of wiki system you use. Go out there and put those in your team space. When new people come... Go out there and have them build one and then share it out with the team. It's a great way to kind of get to know each other on like kind of that human level. The third thing I'll say you do. So we've got the working agreement. We've got the user manual. The third thing that you got to do, figure out what your goals are. We have this play called Goals, Signals, and Measures, which is all about identifying, all right, what's our purpose of our team? Why are we a team? Well, we can align on that. Beautiful. Well, then what are our goals that we have maybe for the next quarter? They don't have to be crazy. It could just be, hey, you know what? We need to ship this thing by the end of the quarter. Awesome. That's a goal. That's something we can all align for. And then the thing is, is it causes you to think a little bit deeper now. This is, all right, if we're going to ship that thing, what are going to be some of the signals we're going to look for to say whether or not we're on track? So that way we feel that we're not going to get to the end and all of a sudden be like, oh, we're not going to make that. And then also it's going to look at, all right, cool, shipping that thing is important. But why are we shipping that thing? This is where measures come into play. Gets into this idea of like, all right, you're shipping this because you want to see such an uptick in downloads, or you want to see such an employee satisfaction score or something like that. And so you have your measure you can look at too. And so all of a sudden now as a team, you came to an agreement in terms of, well, what's our purpose? What are our goals? What are the signals to those goals? And how are we going to measure ourselves in the end? So just building that alignment. And so now you think of it, you put it together. You got you know your goals, you know what you're there while you're doing it, you have your working agreement for how you're going to work together to get it done, and you know each other through your user manual. You do those three things, there's nothing stopping you from being a high performing team except for you at that point. You put the right ingredients in to fight those things like poor alignment that we saw, fight those things like lack of connection.
1: I had no idea what you were going to share. We haven't <laughs> talked about this ahead of time. But all three of those things are part of my management training program. And it makes me really happy to hear that as someone who's doing this research, that that is what you guys are seeing too. They are simple mm-hmm. tools, but they are so powerful. And I, what I love most about this is regardless of anything else, go download the playbook. You do not need organizational buy-in to do anything you just said. 100%. Yes. And oftentimes, as managers, we feel stuck because we're like, well, I think we should use OKRs, but the CEO has to buy in on that or you know, oh, I think we should do performance reviews. I mean, I don't think managers are giving advice on performance reviews usually, but you know what I'm saying. There are things Mm -hmm. that are like organizational wide that you don't necessarily have control over as a manager. But these three things that you said are all things that you could do, even if no one else in the company is doing them. And they could have an incredible immediate impact on your team. And my guess is, is that as other people hear <laughs> what you did and how the team came together and did these activities, they're going to want to do them too. So not only are you doing something positive for your team and the environment you're in, but hopefully it sparks a little bit of a fire in the company and it starts to sort of grow into other teams as well.
0: All right. Hey, this is what they call it leadership. Lead, don't follow. That's the whole idea. You know, there you go, go set that example out there for your organization because it is amazing to exactly your point. When you go into organizations and you start to and you hear about this team doing this, like, wow, that works really well. Again, we vote with our feet most of the time. And so teams start being like, oh, wow, I would love to be part of that team. And then all of a sudden, other leaders oh, I want to have a team like that. And the thing is, if go out there, share what you've done. And the thing is, it's just so incredibly easy. We're almost like petrified. We're like, stop. We're like, I can't do that. Like, that sounds like so much work. I don't know. But to your point, Jill, it's like, this is not something that one, takes a lot of work, and it's not something you need to get the blessing from on high to do. This is something you can choose to use over the course of a couple team meetings and say, hey, we're going to run through these things. And at the end of it, you're going to all of a sudden find yourself as a team working in ways you never thought you could.
1: And let me tell you, your team is probably most likely going to receive it much better than another virtual happy hour. So yes. use the time to <laughs> do... It's like everyone is so clamoring for like what can we do to like make our teams feel like they're together and like granted, so many unique things have come out of this and more power to all of the creative things that people have figured out. I I've been getting emailed from a magician that apparently now does like magic shows for team. Anyway, the moral of the story is an activity like this does not have to be a huge undertaking. It could be Mm -hmm. in place of a virtual happy hour. It could be during the team meetings, like you said. And I guarantee you. Because we've seen it. You've seen it. I've seen it. I've done this with teams. I've yet to have a team go, well, that was a waste of time. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, game changer. So cannot advocate enough for what you're saying.
0: Why didn't we do that? And kind of going back to your example too, the thing is, is once you do it, it's not done. You come back to that again. Like we actually, the team I was just talking to you about, the one that had done the user manual, they're actually going to go through these plays again in about a month because it's been about six months for them. And their team has changed slightly. And, you know, all of a sudden their problems have changed. They're like, you know what? I think we need a refresh. And so whether it be a working agreement, I always say, have that working agreement up. Talk about it. it. says, is there anything we need to change here? You know, user manuals. Let's talk about who's new. Let's any other new insights. And then especially for goals, our goals change. So let's figure out what our new goals are so we always stay aligned. So to your point, this is not a one and done kind of thing build it into as a ceremony, as a cadence for your team. And again, you just, all of a sudden, you'll find like the problems you've seen in the past with things like, hey, we're maybe doing the wrong stuff or maybe, you know, how do I improve engagement? Those sorts of things, those problems that we're all dealing with, those start kind of melting away because all of a sudden, to your point, people want this stuff. They're like, they love a good happy hour, but you know, honestly, they want purpose more.
1: Yep. I always say people don't stay for happy hours. You never hear someone go like, you know, I really wasn't happy in my job, but they just had like these happy hours and I just couldn't give it up. Like, that <laughs> is not bomb. a reason, right? <laughs> You're like, I was gonna go, but we got a beer every third Thursday. And let me tell you, that was the cincher. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I think it's I <laughs> so true. Just it's so can't. true. Yeah. So, I heard you say at the beginning, which I think is super spot on it isn't maybe necessarily very different from someone who has been managing a team for a while or someone who is just Mm -hmm. coming into a team. Is there anything, you know, you're a leader, maybe you're coming into a team who has been working together for a year and a half. Who knows how they feel about how the last leader left, whether that person chose to make that decision or otherwise. Is there any advice that you have for someone who's coming in as a new leader or a new manager for a team and they're trying to build that trust and that safety?
0: I think one of the biggest things for me is actually getting that feedback and trying to do it in a way that builds that safety, especially if we're in an environment where, let's say that old leader left and had built a kind of a culture of kind of some fear, you know, like people didn't speak up, those sorts of things. And so even doing things like, one clever thing I've done in the past, actually as a leader, one thing I did in one of my new teams back years ago was I came into a brand new team. And what I ended up doing was, you know, working with that team, there was one of the team leads. I said, you know, one of the things I'd love you to do is to sit down with the team and do this idea of a pre-mortem retrospective. And they're like, why would I want to do that? You know, it's like, okay, what project are we looking at? I'm like, you're not looking at the project. You're looking at the leadership of the team and how you're feeling as a team. Like, I want you to go in there and I want you to actually sit down and talk with the team and think about, says, hey, in six months to a year, you know, what are the things we want to see? What are the things that we don't want to see at that point? How do we want to see us changing? And then I want you to bring that feedback to me so that way I can start trying to see what kind of actions I can take on that. And so taking that kind of pre-mortem feedback from the team, but then also coupling that down with things like the, you know, spending time with the team, actually working through like, what are the things I want to do? I had a team member once who they just did not like being on the team. And so... The first thing I did was like, all right, what do you want to do? And we started working on a path to say, how do we get you into that? It's building the trust in those. Like, what do they say? Trust is earned in spoonfuls, not buckets, or earned in spoonfuls, lost in buckets. It's getting those little spoonfuls of trust by actually showing up for your people. And if you're looking, again, kind of like that pre-mortem retrospective, if you're looking for other kind of practical things you might do coming into a brand new team, What you may also do is try to set the right tone by doing things like running a, I like to call them a collaboration contract. So kind of like working agreements, but instead what they do is it's all about decisions that we make. Because a lot of times leaders who were in the team before, maybe set a bad environment, part of that reason was because they just made all the decisions the team lost, didn't feel like they were empowered to do anything. And so I like to set the tone by going in and being like, all right, let's figure out what are all the decisions we need to make. And figure out who needs to make them. They also call this in um management 3.0. It's a great little movement out there around how we think about modern leadership, modern management. They have a game called delegation poker that plays to this as well. And it's this whole idea of like laying out what are the decisions this team needs to make and being able to be very explicitly clear about where I fall in those. And so, like as a manager, I'll come in and be like, what are the ones that I yes I might need to make? Because have implications outside of our team. And so I do need to have at least some sort of final say in that. But then beyond that, I might say, the rest of them, I don't need to make. I need you, the team who is closest to the work to do it. And so it's being able to spell that out with the team, being very explicit, letting them feel like they've got the power now versus just being saying like, oh, I'm giving you that ability now. It's like, no, this is your decision. So for me, those sorts of things at the very beginning, especially when dealing with a team who may have come off of a bad experience. Again, it's about trying to make explicit how you see your role in that team and using things like pre-mortem retrospectives, things like delegation poker or collaboration contracts, these sorts of things actually, again, set the tone with your team. So a couple of things I've done in my past that kind of have helped me with brand new teams.
1: I love all of those. I'm going to be Googling delegation poker as soon as we get off of this call.
0: Oh, yes, exactly.
1: I can't wait. I'm sure I will be a new customer. Yeah. Decision-making rights is what I call them and the impact that can have. But I've never thought about it from like a new leader perspective and coming in and looking at decision-making rights and giving people more autonomy. That is an incredible way to build trust. And what a smart thing. The other thing I want to point out when you were talking about the retro Portion of what you could do. The fact that it wasn't you that held the retro, it was instead a senior person of that team. Mm-hmm. That to me is an important part of that because it allows the team to have safety with people they already know and you're just not in the room.
0: Right, yeah, exactly. I don't have any street cred with those folks right now. You know, I don't have any trust with them. And honestly, Correct. even if I did, there's still that aspect of even as a leader, even with a high trust team try to not be in those sorts of situations. And again, there's that always that little piece in our brain. What is it? The, uh, the mammalian side that's the, the fight or flight, you know? You know, like that part is always going to be triggered, even in an amazing environment. So trying to keep that psychological safety built in that team to say, you guys can talk amongst your issues and then let me know what you'd like to bring up and I'm going to be here to support you. That's the role that leader is. Again, it's that support function. How do I help solve those problems that you're experiencing and not add to them.
1: That is one of the big things I hope people take away from this episode is that it's looking at leadership and management in a different way. It's not a push. It is a support. And that's been the big shift, I think, over the last however many decades. Yes. I feel like we could probably be on here for about three weeks talking about all know, of these right. different things.
0: <laughs> I love this. It's so fun to be able to kind of talk through these kind of things because again, we all experience these issues, you know, especially yes. I imagine many of your listeners out there being in roles where they're probably leading people even either directly or indirectly, you know, being able to say, how do I get the inches back with my teams? Because that's what it is. We're not talking about changing your team overnight. We're talking about gaining inches Every day, And that comes into the small aspects of continuous improvement, building trust, establishing how we want to work together. Those sorts of little things out there that make the difference.
1: Little things that add up over time, for sure. I would be remiss if I did not ask you about hybrid work and... Ooh. I know. I just opened a can of worms in an attempt to wrap this conversation up. So do with that what you will. But (laughs) hybrid is absolutely something that I would say a majority of teams right now in the U.S. are experiencing. And I'm curious, what are you seeing? What are you hearing from people? And have there been any sort of ahas or takeaways that you've come across, best practices that you would want people to know about?
0: Well, one thing I'll say is that this aspect, this trend of hybrid remote in office is something that Atlassian has been fascinated with as well. And so we've actually spent some time in our state of teams researching this. One thing I'll tell your listeners out there, and it's sometimes a little bit of a hard pill to swallow, is that honestly, effective teaming doesn't matter where you work. It doesn't matter if you're hybrid or remote or in office. There's some small nudges here and there we've found. And I think, you know, roughly you know, hybrid sees a little bit of an uptick, but it really doesn't matter. What matters in the end, and it kind of goes back to our last conversation, is the autonomy to choose. When people feel like they have the ability to choose, that's when all of a sudden you start seeing higher levels of team performance. Because again, being given the autonomy to choose, that in of itself isn't the thing that drives team performance. But what it is, it's a sign of things like, hey, we're open culture. We focus on building out autonomy in our people and our teams. And so thus means we probably have an organization that's focused on how do we help our people? How do we grow our teams? And thus people start resonating back towards that organization. They start finding ways to actually help work together better. And so for us, that's the big thing is that ability to choose. Now here at Atlassian, one of the interesting things is, is back in 2020, we made a very public and very quick response after COVID kind of started setting in that we said, hey, you know what? We kind of missed the ball in the past, and we think that this idea of distributed work is the future. It's helping us, you know, whether it be to find the right talent, helps us to find, you know, make sure people can live their best lives. And so we launched what we called our Team Anywhere movement. And you can go out online and and read about that, but basically it's our program, it's our stance around what we call distributed first work. So for us, we've spent the last few years kind of going out there. Building up, we've even got a whole team around this a team that's focused on how do we make sure that everything from the tax and legal obligations from working in different countries around the world is taken care of to having a coaching team available to our people to say, Hey, we're a team that now we're distributed. How do we work internally better? Because, as much as you know, again, I talk about our playbooks and the things that we do, we're people too. Our teams have those same problems. So, we have our internal coaches that actually help our teams who might be struggling with some collaboration and team cohesion when they're distributed across the world. And so for us, that's been our firm stance. And I, I honestly love it. One of the things we have seen, though, from that, and I think this is where hybrid starts, you know, this idea of hybrid kind of comes around with is there is an element that we need to have where people come together. And this is something where I've observed it over the last year as teams started coming together, we've started to emerge out of the last few years. And there's something special that happens when all of a sudden, you know, a team gets to meet face-to-face versus just remotely. They may have been working remotely for the last two years, great relationship. But the way, the analogy I like to use is, you know, those old loading programs for like a software, you go up to about 99% and just sit there. That's what remote work gets you. The human connection program, you're almost there. But the thing is, is it takes that moment of connecting, you know, that thing that we've evolved into to finish loading that program. And so for us, we've actually invested in and Atlassian in a program called Intentional Togetherness. And this is all this idea of, all right, we do need to get together in person from time to time. And the focus for when we do that can't just be work. It has to actually be the human connection part. It has to be, all right, how do we do some of that team building? Some of those things, that, you know, you can't do remotely. Like I can go to a work event where they're just going to tell me a bunch of information easily on Zoom or whatever platform I'm using. But to be able to do a bunch of team building activities, actually really try to strengthen my bond, it can be kind of hard over Zoom. And so we want to bring teams together for that. And It's fascinating. We we're looking at it as for both the realms of Atlassians who are local together. So like I'm in Detroit, Michigan, and, you know, we don't have an office here, but there's other Atlassians here. So we're going to get together from time to time and get to know each other. But then also like my direct team, getting together with them from time to time to be like, hey. Let's figure out how we want to work together. Next week, I'm actually going to be meeting one of my teammates and so for the first time. So it's going to be great. So these are little things that at least when it comes down to the big, hairy question of hybrid, the things that take away where you work doesn't matter. It really comes down to giving the opportunity to figure out where you want to work. And then when it comes down to actually how we work, giving that freedom, we still have to be intentional about how we come together. Because again, that's what kind of helps load that program called Human Connection in my mind.
1: Well, shout out to all of our people ops and HR leaders who now not only have to do compliance and communication and management training, but now they must also be event planners and facilitators as they figure out how to make these in-person, short brief, brilliant, beautiful moments work together. So I know we have a lot of people that are in HR that are listening to this. I just want to say we see you and we know that as important as that is, it's also hard and probably Mm -hmm. need to dig into that for an episode here soon because I know it is something that people are wrestling with is how do we make the most of this short time that we do have in person (laughs) because it is important and it's hard.
0: It is. And that's the thing. It's interesting for even us. It's taken us two years to figure that out too. It's not a for us, it was uh, back in August, of, I think it was like August of 2020, it was a bold statement. We made. We had no infrastructure behind that. And so after that, we says, all right, now we need to be intentional about this or figuring it out. So for those listening, if you're like, "Hi, ah, we can never do that, just note that it's taken us two years to even get to that point. So it's possible. It'll be working back to see, all right, how do we intentionally want to do that? What's the unique things about our organization that we want to use? And looking for support throughout the organization to help do it.
1: I have seen, which I love, a lot of cool companies popping up that are helping plan these things, a lot of Mm -hmm. great facilitators that'll come in with pre-program planning, which I think is fantastic because it is. It's its own. You're spending all the money to get everybody together. And it's this beautiful moment in time. And what do you do with it? So anyway, maybe I'll link to a couple of those companies that I'm seeing who are doing some of that work for those of you who are thinking about your offsites for 2023. Mark, this has been a joy. I am so excited to share just the plethora of resources that you have kind of walked us through here on this podcast episode. I think it is going to let people hit the ground running, which is always my hope with any podcast episode. Mm-hmm. Now, I feel like I keep saying this to people, but I already know I'm going to have you back because there is so much goodness that we have not unpacked yet that I'm excited to get into together. So,
0: well, you know, one of the things that we're going to be, you know, I, I mentioned at the beginning of this and throughout is we've been doing a lot of research into teamwork. And the cool thing is we actually have our latest report that's going to be coming out here later this year. So, well, we'd love to come back and share with you some of our newest insights. Now we're in our third year of this. What are the trends we're seeing? And I, I will say, I've already got a glimpse of it. And we're seeing some really interesting trends that are coming out of distributed first world. And, and again, that need to be intentional is more important than ever with how we collaborate. So I'd love to come back and share with you some of those insights once we have
1: them. Yes, I'm super excited to hear how things have changed. Because even in this three-year window, being the three-year window it is, I am sure there are some some jumps in certain areas. So that'll be interesting to unpack. Well, thank you so much. And to everybody listening, really appreciate you tuning in every single week and would love to hear from more of you about what things you're thinking about in your day-to-day and what you're wrestling with in the workplace so that we can make sure and cover those topics and get you the best resources possible when you're tuning in. All right, thanks so much, everybody. We'll talk soon. This show was brought to you by wanttoworkthere.com and the incredible team at Podcasting for Creatives. No individual or company acting alone can change our societal beliefs about work, but together we can create a new normal. If you like this episode, please consider passing it on to one or two people who share your passion for creating a better world of work. And until next time, please know I see you I believe in you, and keep going. The work you're doing really matters.